calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Geek Buddies! Hey! As you can hear, there are only two voices that you recognize here right now. We always say that, as you can hear, as if everybody listening to this actually can distinguish between all three A's. Are you saying that they can't? I'm giving the audience more credit than apparently you do, Michael. I I don't think it's a lack of credit. I just don't know that they can actually distinguish. But yes, as you can tell... There's just the two of us here with no Johnny Roca. That's right. <laughs> this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on 911 going all the way back to house in 2007 and also on My Name is Earl. Uh, and this is Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows such as My Little Pony, Stretch Armstrong, and Young Avengers. And yes, John Roca is out on a super secret assignment right now for Collider. He is gallivanting across uh, across Europe right now, but he will be back next week. But uh, in his stead, we have a very special guest. A very special guest. We have author, writer... Lady extraordinaire Liza Palmer. Hello, Liza. 
Hello. <laughs> Michael, <laughs> Michael and I are sharing a microphone and he's being very greedy with it. <laughs> you legit, you were like, you can have it for one thing. Liza, welcome yes, to the podcast every week. I've commandeered the microphone yes thank you oh look i've offended him <laughs> normally if he had a mic this is when he would come back hey i haven't done another thing <laughs> oh no i'm fine everybody i'm gonna sit over here but yes liza has come in to to fill in for mr roca this week liza is a very accomplished author would you like to tell folks what you've uh, what you've worked on in the past um i've written eight books and then two other marvel books so the ya prequel to the movie higher further faster for captain marvel and then destiny arrives the infinity war novelization Ooh. Ooh. yes well that is very exciting well thank you so much for coming in tonight um you've also worked on some marvel animation haven't you yes i wrote on Guardians of the Galaxy, Spidey, and Spidey, and the one I can't talk about. <laughs> and the one she can't right. talk about. NDA. Mysterious. NDA. Well, thank you very much for everyone that's joining us right now. As you know, the our, our format is we will each present a sort of geek uh, news story of the week. We're going to change it up because we got Miss Palmer here. <laughs> and to start off, would you like to go first, Michael, or should I? Um, I'm happy to go first. I actually just want to talk about, in general, uh, the Birds of Prey movie, uh, AKA Birds of Prey and the Fabulous Emancipation. Fan- fantabulous. Oh, Fantabulous. Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. So, uh, and in the main news, the movie poster was released this week and caused a lot of buzz online just because it is a batshit crazy poster. Right. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, they had released a teaser to Birds of Prey uh, right before it, too. It was only playing before It 2. Yeah, yeah. It was only playing before It 2 because it's kind of like a play on On It. It kind of opens with the red balloons and everything. Um, So it's a crazy poster, close-up of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, and the rest of the cast is sort of just floating around her head like little animated birds. Yeah, as if she had been bonked on the head. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, what did you think of the poster? You know, I thought it was really, really cool. Um, but it also kind of gave me flashbacks to the marketing for Suicide Squad. Yeah, a lot of people online have been saying that, that it's very similar. It's the color scheme, everything about it has a Suicide Squad vibe to it. The general wackiness. Uh, what do you think, Liza? I'm looking at it right now. I like it. I mean, I like it. I like the... I, I don't... Mm. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I mean, I, I'm really excited for this movie. I think I'm excited to see what they do with it. Um, TBD. Now, are you a fan at all? Do you know anything about Birds of Prey as a comic? Do you know anything about like the characters that are in it or in the comic that aren't in the movie or in the comic that are in the movie? I mean, I know that my friend just wrote the Cassandra Cain um, Batgirl um, graphic novel that's coming out um, in February that's in released with this. All right, give your friend a hype. Who wrote it? Uh, exactly. Uh, Sarah Kuhn. Um, it's coming out. It's fantastic. So I've only kind of paid attention to this through that lens. So I'm excited. Um, what else about it excites you so if not not like a huge birds of prey fan like what are, i mean is it like is it because it's like girl power like did you like harley quinn in suicide squad did you see suicide squad or um i i really am a marvel a marvel kid i dc doesn't interest me at all <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's I mean, okay that's, that, that is yeah. you are yeah. well i mean dc comics interest me dc movies not so much but i mean i just they're they're not as compelling as marvel and i think you only have so much time and energy so you put I'm putting all of it in in one camp. No, have you seen a DC film in the past that you did enjoy? That I did enjoy? Yeah. Like um, like the Nolan like The Dark Knight. 
I, I think the Dark Knights are clearly the best. Um, I'm uh, excited about, it seems like um, they're on the come up now. I think Wonder Woman was great, except for the third act. And then the Aquaman, I think, had uh, I appreciated it. I okay. know that that's your... Bread and butter. Um, oh, yeah, that's, we're in that's, the we're that, literally in the shadow of an Aquaman poster right now. That is that is not a poster. That is a work of art. That is a work of art. Okay, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hold on to that third act of Wonder Woman bit. We'll come back to that later. I, 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 look, I'll talk all day about that. Um, I, I really will. I think you never have a CGI battle in the end. But aren't most superhero movies a CGI battle at the end? Um, to an extent, I think Black Panther did it the best, where they 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 came up with a. This is all off the cuff. Um, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> why are you asking me about the thing that I know the least about? On a fucking... we're we're gonna we're gonna get to the stuff that you know a lot. Because I I have geek news that we've talked about that I. <laughs> all right, hold on. We'll get we'll get to your geek news. <laughs> so go. Mo- okay. 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 You will. T- <laughs> um. I, I, here's the funny thing about it. I do think that it looks like the Suicide Squad, uh, just sort of like graphically. It's giving me a lot of the same vibes. I actually didn't hate the marketing for Suicide Squad. I just hated the movie. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, for all that this looks super weird and for all that I'm a big fan of like classic Birds of Prey, like I, when this movie was first announced, I was really upset. I didn't see Barbara Gordon in a wheelchair. I didn't see Oracle. Like there's no sign of her at all. There's that sort of, you know, it feels like they sort of divorced it from the Bat family just because Batman gets really messy in the way that he's been introduced in the universe. So, I mean, I think they've just sort of purposely divorced it. And I was kind of not a fan of that. Right. And I think for me, it was the moment that they added the rest of the title, the Ugh. fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn that I was like, well, okay, there's just no fucks given. I'm in now. <laughs> like, I just think it's, it, it just, everything about it is so weird yeah. that I'm intrigued. And so the teaser before it too kind of didn't really show a lot. It was just sort of bam, 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 bam. Here's a bunch of characters. And then seeing this with the, all the characters flying around her head, I'm kind of like, fuck. All right. Yeah. Like, like it just feels it almost feels like there's a freedom in no fucks given. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And I'm a big fan of uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I mean, I think she... I, I've been such a fan of hers since Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And yeah. her introduction in tour, in, in, into sort of a superhero universe. I'm like, well, this is long overdue. And the fact that we're getting Ewan McGregor as Black Mask. Now, if you saw the teaser, you saw that he didn't actually have the mask on. And apparently that has caused a little bit of a kerfuffle amongst fans. But come on. Yeah, I mean, I saw that, that a lot of people were sort of uh, upset that there's no Black Mask on him, because that's kind of a key part to Black Mask's character in the right. comics. And maybe he'll end up in a Black Mask, maybe he won't, maybe he'll do it. But, you know, I mean, that seems to be sort of, sort of part and parcel with a lot of characters. I mean, from Christopher Nolan on through both the Marvel and DC Universe, some of the more fantastical elements sometimes get a bit more grounded. Uh, you know, Baron Zemo in Civil War, for example. Like, right. And sometimes they come back around to it, like the way they are in uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon with him, and sometimes they don't. But, I mean, look, as far as I'm concerned, if they create a great story, they create a great story. And I think Black Mask and Zaz as the two villains... Uh, that really does interest me. And the actor who's actually playing Zaz is a guy named Chris Messina. I mean, depending on how much television you watch, do you know Chris Messina? Yeah, he's great. Oh, he's, he is a wonderful, wonderful actor. And he was one of the regulars on the Mindy Project and mainly has done like a lot of drama. But watching Mindy Project, like, oh, he is really, really funny. So they might give Zaz a little bit more of a, not a, not a comedic bend, but they're going to add some humor into what he does. That's my guess. Yeah. And, uh, 
Yeah, so I'm just really curious to see what it's all about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, my geek news item of the week, a rumor, and this is completely rumor. We do not know if this is substantiated at all. It was, uh, it was first reported by We Got This Covered, which is, a, which is a website. But they had talked about how there are some rumors coming out of the MCU machine that uh, with the X-Men reboot that will be on the horizon, that they are looking to cast uh, black actors for Charles Xavier and for Magneto. Ooh. I know, and, and, and I think a lot of times... A, when you have a character whose origin is so tied into history, when you look at Magneto and that he was a kid in the concentration camps, it's like, well, no, you can't, you can't do that. But since we're playing in real time... Right, you mean you can't do that because it just doesn't work timeline-wise? Well, no, I'm saying I don't know if there were any black Jews in Europe in the 40s. I, I don't know. Oh, no, no, but I'm saying... Uh, sorry, what I'm saying is that I think that whether, backing up from that idea a bit, and this is why I think this is a really interesting rumor, which even though it's just a rumor, I think it's a good discussion to have. What I'm saying is if the X-Men, if mutants are appearing in modern day and they haven't been in hiding for years in the Marvel Universe and we just never knew about it, right. then both Professor X and Magneto have to be of an age where them being alive during the Holocaust or Magneto being alive during the Holocaust doesn't really work either way. Right. Whether, whether there right. was black... Jews in concentration camps or not, like it just doesn't work. Right. And there was a lot of discussion online where I've seen people talk about that, where they said, well, you can't change that origin with Magneto. But I think that if this rumor pans out to be true, it creates an equally as compelling and perhaps more um, timely, timely uh, origin for Magneto and Professor X that kind of makes both of their, uh, you know, I mean, they've always been sort of the. Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. in their attitudes of things. So I think this might just kind of solidify that even more so, which I find interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I, I'm nodding along. I mean, I, I, I like that. I also think that it's one of those things where I think curiosity is always kind of a good thing to be to to activate first instead of kind of closeness. Right. So I'm, I'm interested to see moreover, I think, because we're kind of creatives that are behind the camera to see who's directing it, who's writing it, who, who you know, who's whose hands is this going to be in more than anything else. I think that's always the defining factor for me. Yeah, and then once I read that the theory that you kind of posited, I was like, God, that is mm-hmm. brilliant. Because, again, the movie, say it comes out in 2025, Martin Luther, kill, or Martin Luther King was killed, I believe, in 68. Mm-hmm. So if you have mm-hmm. an, a young Eric Lyncher who is five years old when that happens... Probably not Lyncher, but we'll see. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I mean, I think just changing that origin to someone who was raised in the 60s in the U.S. is like, absolutely, these two figures would have come out of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of just brings up the other thing. I mean, that I know, like, you've talked about it. I know Kalinowski has talked about it when he's been a guest on here, uh, when I'm not here, to <laughs> argue with him about it. But I do think that, you know, there are people that get really... Um, traditionally white straight guys who get really upset when any classic comic book characters, uh, ethnicity, gender, gender orientation, anything is changed. Mm -hmm. Cause there's this idea of like, well, why do you have to change my thing? Why do you have to change this person? Go make a new character. Uh, and why did you do it? And I think sometimes people do it, uh, you know, just because, a lot of the classic characters have all been white males, and so you're trying to reboot something and make it a little bit more accessible to everybody. But sometimes there is like a very valid reason, and I think this is a great example of taking two characters that, to make any change to them, will absolutely 
ruffle some nerdy feathers. Like yeah. people will absolutely be upset about this, but it also is a really bold choice that makes sense within what those characters are about and when they exist in the current MCU. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it, going back to the point of like kind of what the intention is behind it, right? So it's like that's when I'll know if they're serious about it, if the writer and director kind of follow suit with um, doing it the right way instead of this kind of like a ah, da, da, look what we're doing kind of way, right. which I think there's it's almost more damage to do it the latter than the former. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when uh, all the rumors about Momoa years ago mm-hmm. first popped up. And I was like, well, he's not, the, he's not the blonde surfer guy. And that was one of those. And like Aquaman is a character mm-hmm. that is near and dear to my heart. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Like he's yeah. part Hawaiian. Like water is a part, is a part of that culture. I'm like, that, that change makes total sense to me. And judging by the box office, it made sense to a lot of other people too. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, we talk about this all the time at work, which is if you do something well, then you people will usually – let you get away with it. Yeah. It's like, it's, 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 uh, it's the thing that you can't do until you do it well. Yeah. I so mean, and, if they and, do it well. And using that example, I mean, thinking like Batman versus Superman, mm-hmm. um, had that turned out well, mm-hmm. um, then I don't think people would have had as many issues with the fact that they created for themselves a gigantic Batman problem where you basically told right. all of his great stories already. Right. It's because it did not turn out as well. For most people, or I, for some people, I right. won't say most, but some people did not really care for the way that they that movie turned out. I think you can say most. I would say most. Most people. Well, I know you would. <laughs> Even I know most people. <laughs> Boom. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to be diplomatic right now. <laughs> Scared. That's what this world is known for. Diplomacy. <laughs> but two of the actors that they actually brought up as could be potential magnetos. One was uh, Giancarlo Esposito oh. from Breaking Bad, which Great. is like, oh, that's a that's a charming, dangerous man. But the other one, the big one, is Denzel Washington. Mm. I mean, and the fact that he played Malcolm X earlier in his career, mm. and then the idea that he would be playing sort of the Malcolm X of the mm. mutants, very, very fitting. Yeah, Yeah, I'm into it. I mean, I think that one of the things I think is really cool uh, and I think I said this on here. I know I've said it as we've just been talking about it, but coming out of the Marvel panel at Comic Con, how you know you see them just taking a beat with uh, you know Eternals and Shang Chi and everything else, and not diving right into Fantastic Four and not diving right into X Men and kind of like all the rumors and everything that everyone's saying is that we're not going to see either one of them until like twenty twenty five, like mm-hmm. you said. And I think that just taking the time to set some other things up not rushing into it and being thoughtful about things like this. Like, again, like, I mean, look, we could ad nauseum talk about Batman versus Superman, but I think that the Batman issue that you brought up, the bigger issue is just, it wasn't thought through. Like somebody said, let's do dark Knight Batman. Let's make him old and gritty and skip over everything. And isn't that cool? And if you stop to think about that for a second, from a franchise perspective, you go, ah, but wait a minute. Does that mean that there's a raw, there's a, there's a, Dick Grayson and a Jason Todd and a Tim Drake and uh, Barbara Gordon and they're all out there and all the other villains are all does it mean Selena Kyle is old and the Joker is old like if you there's there's a domino effect to making that one choice that as we said with the Birds of Prey thing kind of just fucks you up right like it just sort of screws you up moving forward and so again the the great part about this rumor is going oh yeah Eric Lencher I can't be 
in the Holocaust. Like that wouldn't, he'd be way too old. Like that doesn't work. Right. We, how would we do this? And that is a solution that is well thought out. If, the, if it goes down this road, it may not, it's just a rumor, but if it does, that is a really well thought out solution that adds a new dimension to this and makes it a lot deeper and more powerful. Yeah. I think it's like from a maker's standpoint, you can always, you can tell the projects and the work where you have people behind the camera who there's two different camps, right? Which is like, this is good. And I know why this is good. Right. So it's like the, this is good. People are like, Oh, I think this is how you're going to make a superhero movie. And this is good. And I'm going to go ahead and mimic and ape that stuff and not know the components and why something is good. And I think that's the, your difference between kind of the Avengers and Suicide Squad, which is like, oh, this is good. We're going to emulate that. And not knowing to deconstruct the ideas about that of why it was good. Yeah. And so my concern is is that whether the intentionality is going to be there with understanding why this is good and not just saying this is good, which is very different. Right, 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 right. You know, that makes sense. Um, so, Liza, do you have any geek news you would like to share? Well, as you know, as I preface this entire conversation, I saw Aladdin last night. <laughs> So I just want everybody to know. So we were kind of prepping Liza for like how we do Geek Buddies. And we're like, well, we each have a piece of geek news. We look at the news and we kind of pick something out that's kind of happening. Some rumors, some things that are being released, trailers, whatever. And we talk about it. And her response was, I saw Aladdin last night. night." And we were like, well, that's that's really good geek news for you. Um, We've covered this already. But sure. Like, okay. Yeah. I was pretty excited about it. I was like, oh, I have something. Like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have texted back fast enough. Because <laughs> here's why. And we've talked about this. We've talked about Guy Ritchie a lot, which was like, you know, we were, we were it's going to come up later, but we, we like movie scores and King Arthur, which is Guy Ritchie's last one, has a great score. One of them is Londinium. We've talked about this a lot. But not not a great movie, right? It's like how many? It's like I was. I think you're being generous right now. (laughs) Thinking about Aladdin, I was like, when are they going to be pugilists from the 1920s? Like, how are we going to do this? Like, where's the the slow barking dog with the frothy mouth? Like, all the beats are in King Arthur. All of them are in Sherlock. It was a delight. Yeah, I mean, look, the performances. The performances were spectacular. I mean, the the Jafar, Aladdin. Jafar was pretty great. Jafar was not great. See, Liza, I was with you. I, I was with was you. I did, not, I did not think he was terrible. We walked out. It was me, you, and John. We walked out of that screen, and I'm like, I did not dislike him the way you guys did. I'm like, he was not the guy from the animated movie. It was a right. completely different version. No, he wasn't Mr. Burns, for Christ's sake, which right. is what he was from the movie. But yeah. this is, they cha- they this, changed okay. his origin. Right. I see the face, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but... Going in because the movie had been out for so long, like right. you had heard that, oh, this it it actually turned out pretty well. Right. Prior to that, right? What were you, what was your impression? I mean, of the I, I, I immediately thought Guy Ritchie. I immediately thought, literally, it was you know, I I didn't trust him with the property. You okay. Know? Um. So I was I was happily I I liked that he gave the story priority over his directing view, which is he has had trouble with that in the past. Agreed. Which is the priority is the directing, and then the story comes second. Yeah, I mean, I thought that with uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies, I thought yeah. Sherlock, I thought Sherlock was less Guy Ritchie, and Sherlock Two was way, way more much. Guy Ritchie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I mean, as we discussed, I mean, like, I think all of us kind of went into Aladdin assuming that it was not going to be great, and uh, came out really pleasantly surprised. I don't think it's a perfect movie by any stretch, but as far as the Disney remakes go, I think it did much better than I thought it was going to compared to. Lion King, which uh, you have not seen. I, I have not seen that. I, I imagine I'll see it in the next 
You don't need to. You could just watch the animated movie. But yeah, so like it was it was just interesting. I mean, look, both have been huge for Disney. Disney is still dominating the box office for the year. Uh, both of those are really high up there. But uh, yeah, so I you are you are aside from um, a difference of opinion about Jafar, okay. um, we're all in the same camp on that. Like it was a fun movie. <laughs> Can I tell you a funny internet rumor? And this was, I don't know. This is like a month. Is it about Jafar? Uh, no, but it is about Agrabah though. Oh. Um, when uh, Galaxy's <laughs> Edge was. The the narrative was that it was not performing up to snuff. Um, there was an online rumor. I don't even remember where I read it because it was just so bananas. But they're like, yeah, if it, if they don't turn it around, I've already heard that they're going to scrap Star Wars and make Galaxy's Edge Agrabah. Oh, shit. <laughs> Who said that? That is such... That is inter-nonsense. That's, that's one of those rumors. You're like, oh, that's really funny. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. That's insane. <laughs> All right. Well, there's our geek news for the week. Hey! There you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, for main topic, Liza, we actually just wanted to talk to you. Like, I think it would be cool for everyone listening to kind of hear about uh, someone that's kind of worked with Marvel um, on uh, offshoots of some of the big Marvel releases. I mean, with both Captain Marvel and Infinity War. I mean, that kind of is like two big chunks of the final chapter of uh, the uh, of this phase of the Marvel Universe. What? How did you get uh, involved with Marvel in the first place? Um, <clears throat> okay, he le- he's letting me hold the microphone. Um, so I was, I remember distinctly, I was driving down Los Feliz Boulevard on my way to work. I work at BuzzFeed. Um, and I had been um, in Marvel animation for a while. And I decided to call my lit agent and just basically kind of put out a hook, basically being like, if anything, just I needed her to know. If anything ever happens with Marvel or if you hear of anything, anything at all, I'm in. Like, I'm in for everything. And she was, A, had no idea that that was a thing I wanted to do. And, all. and sure enough, it was... Well, because it's, that's very... Marvel? It's not not like anything I write. Yeah, yeah. You're, like so. Well, compare it. I think compare it to what like let everybody know sort of what your typical oeuvre of books is right. because I do think it's interesting to go from that right. and then you've worked in animation a little bit and how different working on Marvel is. Right. Yeah. I, I tend to write kind of like what are book club books like it would be like in Reese Witherspoon's book book club it's like um like you know like uh, a failed chef makes uh, last meals for the condemned and all that kind of stuff so they it is very different um that really took a turn in her you defense said a yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that that research wasn't great um but the food was incredible texas food come on um but um so 3 months later she actually called and said that somebody had reached out um that they were looking for pitches for uh, the YA novel of something that they couldn't talk about but I, if i sign an nda yada 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 and it, that's that's my you know we all have that one person in in these universes that tends to kind of be the one that we identify with the most and you know I'm from a Navy family so it's not Air Force but we're all flyers and you know all that kind of so it was always it was always her um, and so it was a whirlwind I I actually can't even remember I think I I mean I know I wrote it in 2018 and I uh, I pitched. Basically, I pitched um, the entire outline, and the everybody at Marvel Publishing is fucking incredible. How's language on here? Are well, we? Well, it doesn't matter now. Keep, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> right? Um, they're all incredible. Um, so this is the it, Captain Marvel book. This we're is the Captain. About. This is okay. higher, further, faster. Okay. Um, so I pitched this entire, and, and you know, you always get these guardrails when you're talking about Marvel, right? So it was basically like we knew that it was going to be her first year of the USAFA, which is the United States Air Force Academy. We knew that the primary kind of the focus of the thing was going to be her and Maria's relationship. And I couldn't mention 
legitimately anything else. I couldn't mention her family. I couldn't mention anything. It, it had to be absolutely um, fully just in that world and no mention of anything else. The two things that I bargained for was I wanted a Captain America poster in the hangar and I wanted the uh, gliders that the, the Air Force used. I needed the, I wanted those to be Stark Industries. Those were the two things that I wanted. Um, and I got them. So, um, so I pitched it and uh, it was this long beat-by-beat beat bulleted um, outline that was incredibly detailed. And, and so they, uh, you come in and first of all, I had to go into Marvel, which I thought, you know, I've worked for Marvel Animation. And the Marvel Animation building is, let's just say, less than impressive. Right. Um, so I thought that's where I was going. Right. And instead, I took the address and I got to go to the fame, the good place. And I was like, oh, my God. And I parked and the whole thing. And you're in the... Ted, Ted Danson was there, right? I mean, don't, don't spoil And I parked. <laughs> and I parked. Well, look, it's all... Because it really is. You're just outside of your body the whole time you know because you're pulling into the disney lot you're doing all this kind of stuff and it's you and not like somebody talking about it on a stupid podcast um so (laughs) not to this podcast is stupid (laughs) so i and the whole thing and you walk through i can't remember what was was it solo that was coming out when but there the whole lobby is set up with whatever whatever thing and it's you're you're trying not to take pictures but of course you're like sneakily taking awful pictures of your shoes and the whole thing (laughs) you go up to the to the floor and it's the the iron man suits are there and you 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 are unable to not freak out right so i read the script and it's the whole thing you're in a windowless room they take away your phone you're not allowed to do all that stuff and the script was really spectacular um and i had to keep going back to make sure that the stuff that i was basing the prequel on remained in the 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 script as they as they cut it did they have someone stationed outside the oh yeah it was room? all of it yeah exactly it was it was amazing i felt so important do you remember how many times you had to read the script? i read it three times okay. yeah i read it three times um in one sitting no no oh, and, okay. and you only have you only have a certain amount of time so like i'm not a great reader and i was like i'm gonna, I, I hope i can get through this thing in the amount of time that they have allotted for this um so it was due and i had to turn it in acts so the first act, I had to write an act a weekend. So it's it's about fifteen to 17,000 words per, like, long weekend. Mm-hmm. And then it basically went right to it, it went right to edits, and I didn't get it back. And that's usually you kind of get it back and you have notes. No, it went in. So it was a, it was a whirlwind, but it was – sorry. That's okay. I'm being told, am I too loud? No, no. I'm telling you to put the mic up for closer to your face. Oh, it, I'm too soft. <laughs> I thought it was Michael for a second. Wow. <laughs> I was trying to do it off mic. Well, we're talking. We're, we see the nuts and bolts here. Let's just let's just talk about how the sausage is made. Um, yeah, um, yeah. It was incredible. It was incredible. And then right as I turned that one in, I got an email back. Literally, the email that responded to the one that I said here. Here's the last act. They, she said, what are you doing right now? And I was like, I am just turned in an awful thing. I, I don't know if you know you received the email that I gave you. Um, yeah. And then she asked me to do the Destiny Arrives, which I said yes to based on one shot in, in Infinity War. Do you want to guess what it is? Wait. So I the, basically Destiny Arrives is the Infinity War novelization. But the cool part is, is you actually get to put thoughts into their – the heads of people when they're saying stuff. And I'm sorry. So had you seen Infinity War? Oh, yeah. Okay. So, so, cause like, so just give me a little bit of context here. So Infinity War comes out. 
you get hired to write the Captain Marvel novel, but then they do an Infinity no- War novel after that? Yeah, it came out, I think, for the Blu-ray? Okay. It was an odd... It was an... Okay, so you yeah, already seen Infinity War. Yeah. They said, we want you to do the novelization, and there's one shot in all of Infinity War that made you want to write... You were what saying- was in that person's head? Oh, I think I know. Shannon, do you want to guess? I have, I have a guess. I do want to guess. Um, I'm trying to go through it as quickly as I can. I'm going to say Vision's head when Thanos turns back time. Mm, that's a good guess, but no. Okay. I'm going to say either Peter Parker or Tony Stark when Peter Parker dies. Okay. Okay. So you're close. Um, that was the worst scene to write. Um, so that was, and I had to write that and it was from kind of Tony's POV, but those, the, the moment was when they're on Titan and Tony and the guardians are acting like idiots. And he has that look where he just kind of <laughs> looks and he just, it's, and it's, I make, I make that look to uh, Shannon and Roca right. a lot. <laughs> I have, that's one of my favorite gifts. It's my, one of my favorite cinematic moments of all time. It's pure RDJ being just, and they let him hang on it for way longer than they should have. It's brilliant. And that was the, that was the one moment that I knew I wanted to, I wanted to write about. So, for for those of us that have not read Destiny Arrives, yes, what is he thinking at that moment? I, you're gonna have to read the book. Oh my gosh! Yep, you got me. Yeah, hook, line, and sinker. What do you think about that? You walked right into it. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I actually, I actually showed you the door I was going to walk into, <laughs> and I still walked into it. <laughs> So I'm curious, uh, you know, you had said earlier that you're not really a DC person, you're a Marvel person. Yeah. Now you've gotten to play within the universe in a pretty major way. Uh, what, why, why Marvel over DC? I, it's that you don't know, right? It's, 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 it is kind of like a, you fall in love. It's just the one you fall in love with. And then I, I think it's incredibly personal. I just think it's the one you click with. It's it, for some reason it works for me. And do, I don't know why. Do you remember your introduction to Marvel? What was it? I think I was actually thinking about this on the way here. And I think a lot of times I get kind of embarrassed about my, my geek street cred. And I think it's because, and I, and I actually talked about this with Daniel. Have you talked about Daniel in here? Your brother? No, but you can talk about it. Okay. So, um, what is that? That is the air conditioner from the apartment above. <laughs> oh shit. So it's precipitation, uh, rains down on Good. the air conditioner cover out here. Yeah. The best part about having Liza as a guest is all the stuff that we don't tell you when we're usually recording this. She has no filter, so she's just asking us as we're recording what these things are, and we're not going to edit it out. So let's call this the behind-the-scenes episode of Geek <laughs> So, you want to talk about my brother a little bit? <laughs> so, what, what was I talking about? Your geek cred. Oh, oh, that... When when we became obsessed with Game of Thrones, I I had this sensation that I had never really fully kind of immersed in a fandom like I did th- with Game of Thrones. Like it was like I had the tinfoil hat on, we had the maps out, all of it. Like it was like we had the whole text thread that was just these screeds and it was the whole thing. And I realized that I hadn't had that growing up. And I think because you know, we were we were dirt poor. I, mean, I was a welfare kid. All that. so we didn't. I didn't have a television until my twenties. Like we didn't go to movies because it was too expensive. I wasn't a good reader. So all of these kind of like benchmarks of where you kind of would find fandom, I never did. Um, 
So I came to fandoms very later. And I think it's because at some point, some kid I knew who had a television on the street also had a VHS tape of Revenge of the Jedi. No, Return of the Jedi. Sorry. Um, that was that was its initial title. It was, it, well, right. Okay. See, I'm going... Um, there we go. Thank <laughs> You're God. Um, so and I was I was like, what is this? And yes, I did see Return of the Jedi first before I saw the other two because it was just... I didn't know. I was a little kid. But so I, I think I have kind of this weird geek shame about that because I'm not... I, I, I don't know how I can be in i'm learning it now as an adult i think mm-hmm. rather than having that kind of nostalgia of a kid what was the original question uh, nothing about what, what got you into marvel oh okay there we go um <clears throat> i don't know i don't know i think it just kind of appeared in my life <laughs> well, awful? it sounds like i mean was it the movies this is the thing i don't know if i want to say that right because then you're a bad geek kid no, you're not. yeah because no, i think I, th- I think i fell in love with it when i finally started being able to a afford going to the movies and then and then i just fell in love with it and f- fell into it at that point but i think it was kind of i think it was before the movies um maybe but i did fall in love over the last 10 years that's definitely true no there there is no shame in in Falling in love with something later in life. Right. I mean, I, you know, Batman was my introduction. The 89 Batman, other than Super Friends, 89 Batman was my sort of uh, obsession when I got into the geek world. And I kind of pulled back as you get older because you, you start to go to high school and you start to worry about kissing girls. And you're like, oh, I don't want to talk about We don't all worry about kissing girls. <laughs> you know what else we said? We start to worry about kissing girls. Not <laughs> we start to think about kissing girls. <laughs> yeah, it's a little shit. It is. I worry about how much I'm going to have to juggle. Uh, yeah. What do you think kissing is that you're juggling? It's it's the players. It's the players involved. <laughs> wow. This is like a bags of sand moment. Yep. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, I mean, I think you bring up a good point, which is I do think that there are a lot of people, particularly in the the world of the internet that we live on, whether it's like Reddit or Twitter or anything that do see themselves as sort of geek fandom gatekeepers who feel like if you didn't read something or you didn't jump on board something at a certain point, or you didn't look at something in a certain way that you are not as pure of a fan as they are. And I think that's not accurate. I think that, you know, you coming to if not saying you have to, but like, even if you did say, I never was a big comic book person. I fell in love with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and so I love those characters. I think that's just as valid. Right. Yeah. Right, I, got, I got to tell you one one little story. <laughs> so are we talking about you? Ki- <laughs> I tried to. Ju- are we going back to you kissing? <laughs> <laughs> so after the Last Jedi came out, and this was when this is before we started this podcast. Roka was doing Outlaw Nation. After Last Jedi came out, we all had very strong feelings about it. Roka suggested like, Hey, why don't we record an outlaw nation at golden road up in Glendale, which is the brewery. And it's like, you know, me, you Vogel and, and Kalinowski. I was like, yeah, great. So we recorded it. I thought it turned out pretty well. And then Roka put it up on YouTube and he told me, he's just like, he's like, don't read the comments. Don't read the comments. And I'm like, well, I'm going to 
to now. And for most, most of it was very nice. But there was one particular guy who really liked Kalinowski. But anything you or I and a little bit of John, he was just, it made him so angry. I'm like, what is this guy's problem? Because we had talked about, there were four of us, we only had two mics, so we're having to hold mics for each other. <laughs> he quoted something that I said, so I, I mean, it really, it, it, it got me. And he was like, F this guy, I would not hold an effing mic for this guy. <laughs> and at first I was kind of shocked, but then I all I could do was laugh. <laughs> do you remember what it was that he, you had said? I, I had said that Darth Sidious, the Emperor, I'm like, he is the big bad. Um, and then... Because I was referring to the old movies, and apparently he had he had issue with that. He did not. He didn't think it, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what if it's Darth Sidious? Like, what if it's Darth Sidious? He's like, this fucking guy's got it figured out. <laughs> like, and he's, like, he's like trolling you online. <laughs> that would that would make uh, the air conditioning noise. That would make sense now. Yeah. yeah. He's coming for you. <laughs> Wait, this is how it starts. Slowly. He's like, Darth Sidious is not the fucking big bad. <laughs> He knows. He's doing the best he can, all right? Um, what other... So, question for you. Uh, what... We were talking about this earlier. So, one of the things we know about you from uh, being your friend yeah. is that as a writer, you write to music. Yes. It is my life's work. We've talked about this. Um, I have a playlist that is... How long is it now? Five, five days long? It's like over 3,000 tracks. Um, yeah. I think uh, writing is an incredibly solitary sport. You need to do what you can to make it seem as kind of wonderful as you can. Um, music is a hard, whether you listen to stuff or not, and you know you can listen to stuff like Noisly, which is the Noisly.com, which you can have like fireplaces and like running water and all that kind of stuff and like a coffee house. And But I need, I need, I think movie scores are perfect because they give you that emotion. They give you all that stuff you need without it getting kind of tinny in your ear or it's... Or making giving you lyrics so that words go in. It's the perfect um, foil. And you are one of the founding members. I know Shannon and I have discussed this uh, a couple times uh, on uh, on Geek Buddies. But we haven't really uh, jumped in in a major way. But you're one of the founding members of our little club uh, that we call Score Horse, mm-hmm. where we just sort of revel in movie scores. Yeah, I like how we each have also an identity, right? Like we always talk about how Jonathan brings in the. Our friend, our friend Jonathan. So it's right. it's Liza, Shannon, myself, and two other gentlemen, uh, Jonathan and Tony. Right, and that Jonathan brings in kind of the ubiquitous. What is it like? Independent film with the stringy violin that doesn't like in minor chords. Yeah, that came out of Lithuania. Exactly right. Shannon's great for action and adventure. Usually, mm-hmm. um, you're great for kind of like we're going on a, like a Disney quest. <laughs> Usually it's Tinkerbell. First of all, Tinkerbell has some <laughs> First of all, the Tinkerbell movies have some amazing music. Rebuilding Pixie Hollow is a great track to write to. First of all. And then Tony's video games. Tony's video games. And then I usually bring in really great tracks from really bad movies. That is true. So you are a master of a terrible, terrible movie with a great score. Yeah. So what are some of your favorites? Oh, I don't know why I didn't prepare something for this. I mean, all, I mean, all. I mean, one of the ones is Your Highness has a great score. Um, yes, yeah, it's a great score. You were my oh, introduction to that music. Awful movie. Um, great score. Is that Jablonski? I think it's Jablonski. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. So yeah, so that is another thing that Shannon and I particularly uh, geek out probably more than John does. 
Yes. Uh, John definitely likes a good score, but doesn't geek out to the level that we do, where we are obsessed with certain composers. Uh, I, I, I am still John Williams is my number one. Yeah, I mean, I think I like. I you got to go Hansi. You got to go Hansi. Hans Zimmer. Um, you got to go Rachel Portman. She's beautiful. And the the all the the Gregson Williams, Williams, Thomas Newman, all those guys are really really wonderful. Yeah, Jablonski is is one of my new faves that I yeah. don't feel like he does. Isn't enough. it like Jablonski? It's Tyler. Who are the other ones? Like Elfman's in there that have that kind of like boom 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 like that kind of um, you know Armageddon launch kind of music. I wouldn't put Elfman in that group. <laughs> yeah, you're but right. I would put it's Brian me. Tyler and Steve Jablonski. They're they're right. kind of cut from the same cloth. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, when you're writing to scores, is it easier for you to write to something that's super identifiable or super not? Like, for example, like, you know, like, so some of William's stuff, like whether it be like Harry Potter or the Jurassic Park theme, does that distract you or does it not? And it doesn't matter. It does. And I think I have kind of these, I have like uh, sub playlists for writing where like a lot of times I'll have just like uh, Nancy Myers movies has great, um, have great scores. And because they are kind of like a, going to the bus kind of where it's like, it just feels like there's kind of action happening and it's just tepid enough that you can kind of just have that kind of feeling of um, floatiness that you need for, to write. But we've always talked about how in the deadline mode, the best, absolute best song of all time that you can listen to. I literally listen to it nonstop and it's the best is brothers in arms from Mad Max Fury road, which is the best track I've ever had. Yeah. That, that one's really, really that is an intense track. It's, it, but it's not. It starts out intense, and then in the middle of it, you have this incredibly beautiful, really harmonic swell, and I think it's deceptively intense. Uh, what did you listen to when you were writing Destiny Arrives and Higher, Further, Faster? I think I wrote – those were tough, and I think I had to be as – those were the ones where I kind of went to the Myers ones because I think those – and then I went into Mad Max Fury Road because I think you can't force that – swell right you can't force that i'm gonna be glorious right now it's like i think actually our themes um we have now the playlists with what is it wonder and america's great not america's great oh, make america make america great again is that what <laughs> no. um and then other worlds was great um but i think a lot of those are can hold because you know why because because they're not um they're they're only these mixes that we've done so Back, what was it about? Maybe like nine months ago, you rebooted, Michael rebooted the score horrors. We used to get together and just listen to tracks together. And it became like a quiz show. Yeah, exactly. we, like, guess this track in five notes. Not a great plan, by the way. <laughs> Not a great. We did that for like five years. Yeah, we were like the nerdiest kids in the dorm room in college. Like we would get together and have some wine and cheese and like literally have our laptops out and just start playing movie scores. On, uh, on poor speakers, by the way. You never actually heard it. Like it was always in like a phone in a cup or it was coming from like a laptop. We finally started connecting it to right. it was never a good sound system. Right. So yeah, so we did that, and it kind of, after a while, you realize that for a bunch of people that loved movie scores, we were only listening to like the first 30 seconds to a minute, and then someone would move on to the next thing. Because we were all, all we wanted to do was like play ours, like, guess this one, like we were such like, (laughs) and then you rebooted it. Yeah, so for anyone who's listening at home that has not already decided that we're completely insane, um, what you can do with Scorehorse, what you can do with your friends, 
Uh, so what you do is you pick a theme for the night. And so, you know, for example, we actually have a score horse uh, coming up this evening where the theme is high along the lines of higher, further, faster, right. your book. We'll say it's inspired by that. Yeah. But uh, hi. And so everybody can submit um, from 12 to 15 minutes or so. I think it's a little bit more now of music. And it can be one 12-minute track. It can be two six-minute tracks. It can be whatever combination you want of different movie scores from different movies that speak to you. And you write like two sentences for why. And so whoever decided some, on some the theme. Some people write more. Some people write more. <laughs> Don't write anything at all. Some people write two I words. I have a problem. <laughs> this song. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here. So, uh, and then whoever's hosting the evening, whoever chose the theme, basically kind of hosts the evening, and we don't know what other people picked, and so we still get together, but you listen to the full track and kind of make it like a concert, and then the best part about it is we end up sending each other the full concert in order, so now we have all of these uh, sort of themes that have been created by us and our friends, by the score whores, that you could just listen to all the time. So I think we all do sort of like keep them in our, uh, you know, keep them in our, our queue. And whether it's for writing or jogging or walking the dog or working out or whatever it is, road trips, we now have these sort of themed uh, sort of playlists that are all movie scores from different people. Because I think what happens is when you start having all these movie score playlists and it does turn into one 5,000 track playlist this is great because it's chopped it up into an hour and a half which is really the perfect amount of time for any playlist and now you can be like oh this is resilience this is shenanigans this is dig deeper right this is goodbye and so when you're writing that scene now you've got an hour and a half playlist that is exactly what you're looking for and it's it really is genius begrudgingly i admit that yeah it was oh (laughs) i want you to say that again please (laughs) boy did i hate it when you did that at the beginning i was like <laughs> but I was right. Thank you. <laughs> but who has the tracks that you're most excited for tonight, Liza? Um, Shannon. Hey. Shannon had some great tracks. Hey. Yeah. Michael is shaking his head at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a visual medium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was going to say, uh, we also listen to listen to scores, typically while we write, um, and one of the scores, uh, the score to True Grit, oh. that is a wonderful, like, there was a, there's a series that I'm working on with Mr. Vogel, and that is the perfect, perfect music to write for that particular show. Yeah. But, your, but your playlist can change, depending it? on... It's wh- Carter, who is it? It's not, what's his first name? Something it, Carter? It's... it's it's Carter something. Yeah. Carter uh, Burrell. Carter Burrell. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, uh, it's River Crossing. River Crossing is the one that, it, or do you like another one, which is like, I got you all the way there. The one that plays when he's bringing her all the way back. River, the River Crossing is the one that was in uh, Adventure. Adventure. <laughs> that Spelled. A-D-V-E-N-C-H-A. And I wanted to Liza corrected it to A-D-V-E-N-T-C-H-A. Um. So I have a question, kind of go around, like, so since we're discussing this movie scores and everything else, like, so what is, um, if you had to pick your top, top, and, and, and just like in general overall, not for a specific purpose, not for writing for anything, but like, kind of like, I'll give, I'll give us two, two top tracks. Two top tracks of all time. Oh gosh, the yeah. tracks. Hold on. This is where 
the podcast becomes 30 minutes of dead air. <laughs> and just the occasional... <laughs> um, I All will time, say... Where do you go first? You asked it. I mean, I can go first. Go first. All right. Uh, my two favorite tracks of all time. Uh, number one, John Williams' love theme from Superman. That is one of my all-time favorite pieces of music ever written for film. And number two, uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh because it's so obvious. But, uh, is it Tinkerbell's? Nope. It's, uh, nope. it's Test Flight from uh, How, to Train, Your How Dragon. to Train Your Dragon. Oh, well played. Yes. That's John Powell, right? That yeah. is where we discovered that Michael has a penchant for marching bands and children's no, choruses. No, children's choruses, yeah. He, oh, that's right. Michael never let, met a snare drum he didn't love. <laughs> I actually will. I will amend that. Uh, Test Flight is great in the first How to Train Your Dragon movie, but actually my favorite, favorite track, if I was going to take the How to Train Your Dragon things, actually is coming back around from the end of How to Train Your Dragon, which is the Test flight. flight. No, it's the Test Flight, and then it goes into the big drums, the big, the big marching band. <laughs> The marching band people come in and really bring it to bring it home. Uh, do you have? No. Okay. You go. You go. Okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get it. And at four o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna do a flop sweat and be like, "Oh, damn it! That's good. That's the right one." <laughs> no, none of these tracks are gonna be my favorite that I say in the next fifteen minutes. So the two that I will talk about a current and I will talk about a past. The current, my most current fave right now that's uh, I listen to repeatedly is Portals from Avengers oh, Endgame. Oh, well played. Um, that literally, depending on what I am doing. That track can bring tears to my eyes oh, every time. Well played. And the one from the past is um, Tryouts from Rudy. Rudy. Jerry you, Goldsmith. You fucker. You love... God damn it. That's great. <laughs> Liza. Okay, okay. I got one. Uh, Promontory from Last of the Mohicans. Very good. That's what it started at all. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, I get it. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> Thank you for singing... <laughs> if the li- if any of our audience happens to listen to the cinephiles as well, they just did Last of the Mohicans like a, really? like a month ago, oh, and they, wow. and that is a score that John actually uh, singled out. He's like, hey, you know, yeah, it's not right. really my thing. You can't buy it on iTunes. You need to buy the CD from Amazon. Really? Yeah, yeah. Probably. I don't know to this day, but that's always been. Maybe I'm just thinking of 1999. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one more? Okay, I think here's what I'm gonna. I think there's a uh, a world. Where the track to uh, Joe Wright's Pride and Prejudice, um, which is Dawn, that starts out the whole movie as this beautiful piano. I love that one. That's not it, though. I'm going to do some runner-up here. Runners up. Runner-ups. Runners up. Runners up. Runners up. (laughs) I like Rachel Portman. I like Cider House Rules. I think that there's an end credits to Cider House Rules that I love. I also love How to Make an American Quilt. That's it's a beautiful theme. Um, I think I'm going to go with How to Make an American Quilt. How to Make an American Quilt. There you go. Right, then since you threw in a couple extra, I'm going to throw in one or okay, two extra. Yeah. Uh, the American President. Oh, well played. Which they used in every trailer. Every trailer in like the the 90s. Um, they also use which I love. Because uh, it's just like, if you know what it's from, it doesn't quite fit. But when you're waiting in line at Disneyland for uh, Soren, Soren. <laughs> it comes on all the time. It's In their track, they play like a bunch of like themes from like movies about flying and about airplanes and about whatever. And then American President comes on and I get excited every time. Well, isn't, don't they always play Dragon Quest? Isn't that the one, the Sean Connery movie? Dragon it, Quest they use all, they all, all the time. All the time, yeah. All, all the time. You know it. Yeah, you would, you would recognize it. Dragon Heart. 
There we go. Oh, yeah. What am I thinking of? Probably Dragon Quest. (laughs) I think you're thinking of Dragon's Lair, the 80s movie. Oh, my God. That that is is the video game series. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're thinking of Dragon Slayer, the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we've lost all of the audience. (laughs) I think it's about time we can probably wrap this up. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank Liza for being our guest on this fun-filled road trip of a Geek Betty's episode. Uh, and also, uh, anybody listening, absolutely go to Amazon, pick up her books, uh, Higher, Further, Faster, and uh, Destiny's Destiny Arrives, Destiny Arrives uh, both by Liza Palmer, obviously. So pick them up, check them out. Great books. Um, and in addition, please go... Uh, Go give us some stars. Give us some reviews. Uh, we love hearing from you guys. We love hearing what you think. We'd love to hear what you think of this episode. It's been, <laughs> it's been a real, uh, it's been a real razzmatazz. A real hootenanny. Uh, <laughs> so let us know what you thought. Uh, you know, the more that you give comments, the more that you rate us, the higher up we go, and the more geek buddies we're going to get. Uh, yes. Shannon, what do you want to tell them? Well, yeah. If you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. I am at MKToon on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, our, our good friend John Roca is at the Roca Says uh, on both. And Liza, if people want to follow you, where do they find you? Um, Twitter and uh, Instagram, at Liza Palmer. I got off Facebook because you just have to. Because today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So at Liza Palmer. All right. Well, thank you all so much for uh, hanging out with us, and we will catch you next time on The Geek Buddies! Hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.